Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Luke chapter 2, which is where every church in America is turning this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8, Luke 2 verse 8. Well, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. It will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you uh, open up our hearts and minds today um, to help us understand what it is that you're trying to say to us. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to respond uh, and to follow you the way you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Really simple question. I don't want to scare anybody. Don't overthink it. How did the shepherds know where Je- who Jesus was and where they could find him? Who told them? An angel. Good job. It was a glorious and terrifying experience, but clearly a profound and unforgettable one as well. I have another question. How did Mary know that she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son of God, who an angel told, look how smart you are. An angel just laid out the whole plan in front of her. Now, why did Joseph not divorce Mary when he found out she was with child and he knew it wasn't his? Why did he not put her away privately? An angel, say an angel. Okay, thank you. An angel told him in a dream. Why did Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, not, why did he name him John when nobody else in their family was ever named John? What was that about? Why did he agree to hold the child to a Nazarite vow? Say an angel. An angel. Yay. I mean, when you read the account of the, of the Christmas story in the Bible, in, in Matthew and in Luke, and you read about the conceptions and the births of John the Baptist and Jesus it's like God went full-blown Oprah mode for everybody. Like, you get an angel, and you get an angel, and you, like, everybody gets an angel in the story, it seems. But, but contrary to how it does seem, when you, when you start to read it, not everybody got an angel. Not everybody got an angel. There were some major players in the account of Christmas that got no direct divine notice of their role in the whole thing. And, and, and you know what? I can relate to that. I can relate to those people. Because while God certainly does still speak to us through angels, and the book of Hebrews says uh, sometimes we're not even aware of our interactions with angels, 
most of the time, God speaks to us in ways that are far more subtle. But he's still inviting us into his story. He's still inviting us to participate in what he's doing. And so today's message is the ones who didn't get an angel. The ones who didn't get an angel. And I want to look at three people who played a really critical role in the Christmas account, um, but didn't have that angelic proclamation. And I think there's some spiritual truths that we can glean from, uh, from the role that they played that will help us in our lives today. So here's the first one. Uh, and this is a person that's not named. He's really just implied. And I'm just assuming he's a he, all right? And that is the innkeeper, the innkeeper. And I want to show you in Luke chapter 2, show you where he, he or she appears um, in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And in, in some translations, there was no room in the inn. In the inn. So when you understand an inn in the sense of the holiday inn, somebody has to run the place, right? There was no lodging in their hotel, if you will. So uh, the innkeeper is the first one that I want to talk about. I feel sorry for the innkeeper because people give him a really hard time because he didn't kick somebody out in order to give the room to Mary and Joseph. I mean, people wear this poor guy out. But the reality is he didn't get an angel. He didn't get an angel. Like Gabriel did not show up in his, in his lobby and ring the bell at the front counter. And, and Gabriel did not say to him, For behold, you will be visited by a little pregnant girl. And thou shalt kick out the old lady in room 107 and give thy room unto them because they're going to need it. And because uh, that's the son of God. And by the way, they're going to need some extra towels and like a roll-out crib because it's about to get real in room 107. They didn't get any of that. That didn't happen for him. He, they, he, he didn't get an angel. He's just like us. He's just doing the best he knows how to do with the information that he's been given. He was just overwhelmed by the number of people who had descended upon the city of Bethlehem. He was overwhelmed by the demand on his business. He could not have known who he was talking to. He didn't get an angel. He just literally didn't have a room available. He had no vacancy, had no room to offer Mary and Joseph and Jesus that night. Now, here's the truth that I think we can, we can glean from the account about the, the innkeeper, and it's this. A little room was never enough anyway. A little room is never enough. Nowhere in the Bible that I've found, and yes, I looked, and if you find it, you let me know, but nowhere in the Bible that I've found do I see a command to make a little room for Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus doesn't play well with others. He just doesn't. Jesus isn't someone you add to your collection of spiritual gurus and soothsayers. If you think of your life as an inn, okay, you think of your, your, uh, your life as a hotel, he's not interested in you giving a room to him 
and to Buddha and to Muhammad and to the horoscope people and to the crystals lady and to the, the tarot card reader. He's not into that. He does not want a room. He wants the whole hotel. Amen. He wants the whole place. Amen. Listen, you, want to, you just want to see God just go off. Then, then let me show I love this. I love this. Isaiah 46. He's speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and, and now God's talking for himself. He said, to whom will you compare me? Like, who's like me? Who is my equal? He says, some people pour out their silver and their gold, and they hire a craftsman to make a god for them from it. Then they bow down and worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders, and when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move, God said. And when someone prays to it, there's no answer. It can't rescue anybody from trouble. God is just, he's just done. He's done with the whole concept. And listen, I don't know about you, but I find that greatly amusing. I just, I just love it. In another place, he says, and I think it's in Isaiah as well, uh, God says, listen, y'all cut down a tree and you take half of it and you, you make it into firewood. You take the other half, you carve it into a God, you set it up yourself, and then you worship the thing. And it, it just infuriates God. If God could be confused, he'd be confused by how stupid that is, but how many people still do it. Amen. Listen, does this sound like a God who would be satisfied with you just giving him a little bit of room? When the Holy Spirit draws a person to make a decision about Jesus, and that person's eyes... Uh, are open to their spiritual condition. The invitation that the Spirit is giving to you is not for you to carve out a little space for Jesus in your life. If you decide to follow Jesus, Jesus is your life. Amen. Do you understand that? He is your life. He does not come to give you advice on how to be a better person. He doesn't come to help you figure out how to achieve your goals. He will not occupy whatever corner of your life you want to give him. He says, old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. He says, you're bought with a price. He says, you're rescued from the grip of Satan. You are rescued from eternity in hell. Why in the world would he be willing to share you with other things in your life? A little room is never enough. Jesus, Jesus is going to consume every container you try to put him in. The Bible says in Hebrews, he is a, a, he is a, a, a God, he's a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. He's never going to be satisfied occupying a small section of your space. Philippians says, I'm crucified with Christ. But I still live. But then he, he still almost corrects himself. He says, but it's not really me that's living. It's Christ who's living in me, who's living through me. If you surrender yourself to Christ, he, he's going to take over. He's going to do as John the Baptist grew up to say eventually. He's going to increase and you're going to decrease. He's going to overwhelm and consume every lesser thing. You say, John, you make it sound scary. You make it sound like a terrible thing. No, this is a wonderful thing. This is the best thing. This is the good news. Because when you let him in, when you surrender to him, his holiness will consume your sinfulness. 
His, his fullness will consume your emptiness. His sufficiency will consume your inadequacy. Your, his forgiveness will consume your guilt. His power will consume your weakness. His wisdom will consume your confusion. His deity will consume your humanity. And one day, for every one of us, his immortality will consume your mortality and you will be changed and live forever in his presence. That's the good news. That's good news. I just, I just want to proclaim the greatness of God this morning. He's just not going to be satisfied with, nor should we be satisfied with him having just a little room. Look at Amos chapter 5. Amos 5 and verse 8. It's the Lord who created the stars and he named them. He turns darkness into morning and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans. That's the water cycle, by the way. And pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 26. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. And in uh, another place it says, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's clear he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Do we really think that a God like that is going to settle for a piece of your life? Do we really think that God wants to be the silent partner in the corner office? Do we really think he just wants to be on our team as another tool for us to use on our quest to the top of our ladder? The only way that you can truly, that every heart can prepare him room is if we surrender everything to him. That's the only room he's interested in. So listen, let's leave this poor old innkeeper alone. Our God is a consuming fire. A little room was never going to be enough in the first place. But here's the real question. How much room are you giving him in your life? How much room? I'm going to leave you with that. Here's the second point, the second person. And I'm going to do something with this second person that I've never done uh, on another point. So y'all hold on. Uh, the second person who didn't get an angel is Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's story is found in Luke chapter 1. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, Zechariah was uh, Elizabeth's husband. While he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. See, Zechariah got an angel uh, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. The angel said, hey, don't be afraid. God's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth uh, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. Now, verses 23 through 25, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home, and soon afterwards, Elizabeth became pregnant, went into seclusion for five months, and she exclaimed, how kind the Lord is. He's taken away my disgrace of having no kids. 
So, listen, you'd be very, very hard-pressed to find anyone who was more intricately woven into this story of Jesus and John the Baptist uh, than Elizabeth. I mean, ladies, would you agree with me that when you give birth to the guy, you're kind of involved? Would you all agree with me? I expected a little more enthusiasm than that. That's, you're, you're pretty much woven into the whole fabric of the deal. Um, she, didn't get a, she didn't get the promise of the angel. She didn't get the visit. The angel didn't show up in front of her. Her husband got the angel. She had to trust Zechariah, who, by the way, at this point, couldn't even talk. Read the rest of the story. He couldn't even talk, but she had to trust that God had spoken to him that they should try again. Now, what's the lesson here? What's the truth that, that the Lord is trying to communicate here? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. I don't know. I could have skipped this person, but the Lord wouldn't let me do that either. Because she didn't get an angel. And there's something about this situation that the Lord is wanting to communicate to one of you or more of you about. And so I had to bring her up. But you're thinking, did you just run out of time, John? Did you just not have, I had plenty of time. Had plenty of time. But you're the, you're the pastor. You're, you're supposed to lead us and guide us to the truth. Listen, we'll talk specifically about the role of a pastor after the first of the year, something the Lord's been dealing with me about for several months. So we'll get to that right after, right after the first of the year. But let me say this. Leading and guiding you to the truth is the job of the Holy Spirit, not your pastor. Is everybody still breathing? Are you all okay? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to do. I'm giving you homework. Read this passage in Luke chapter 1. Read it. And then ask the Lord what it is he's speaking to you. Because he wouldn't let me skip it. It would have been far less embarrassing. He wouldn't let me skip it. He wants to say something to y'all. So ask the Lord, God, what's the penetrating truth uh, that you're trying to communicate to me? Just ask him. And when he wants you to know, he'll tell you. And when he tells you, please come tell me. So that I'll know too. Because I had some ideas, but none I felt released to share. And I would far rather shut up and let God speak for himself than to dive in with my brain, chasing squirrels most of the time, and try to just throw something out just because it's one of the points. All right? Ask your father what he wants to say to you. Here's the last one. Herod. King Herod. You could feel free to boo if you want to. It's nobody's favorite person in this story. Just a wretched, wretched human being, according to history. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this because he was a paranoid politician. 
as was everyone else in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for the prophet wrote about this. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come out from you, will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Don't miss that. He asked them specifically when the star appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, carefully search for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, let me, let me fill in a few gaps for you because if you don't understand what this, then the rest of the story is not going to make any sense. All right, so... Um, I don't want you confused about how we uh, celebrate Christmas historically in the church because sometimes those don't always add up biblically. Is everybody okay? All right. When Jesus was born, a star appeared in the sky all, uh, all the way in what we believe to be Persia, um, which is what we call Iran now. Um, some wise men saw it. And they began to study and research to figure out what this star might mean because it was new. And they determined that it had to do with a Jewish Messiah uh, having been born. And so they set out to Jerusalem from the east. They set out to find the newborn king of the Jews. And when they, they finally found uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby, it says they came to the house, not to the manger all right, read it. It's right there for you, Matthew chapter 2. They came to the house. So Jesus, uh, the, the, the wise men and the shepherds were not gathered around the manger. I, I know your Hobby Lobby nativity set shows everybody together. I, I get it. And I'm not, I don't need, you don't have to go take it down. Everything's fine. You just need to know that there was some creative license taken with this that the shepherds and the wise men missed each other by months they were they didn't even look at each other they were nowhere near they were never there at the same time the wise men came 18 to 24 months after Jesus was born you you just need to know that or or the rest of the story won't make sense so here's the truth that I think we can learn from King Herod who didn't get an angel and it's this you you may have the authority to reject him, but you don't have the authority to stop him. Amen. You may have the authority to reject him. You do not have the authority to stop him. So no, Herod did not get an angel. And no, I don't think it would have made a difference anyway. But he didn't get an angel, he, but he did get a choice. He got a choice, just like everybody else did, just like Elizabeth did, just like the innkeeper did, just like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and everybody else had a choice. The, Herod could have gone and worshipped the king like he said he was going to, but he didn't. He could have submitted himself to Jesus like the wise men did, but he didn't. He could have bowed his earthly throne to the throne of the Ancient of Days, but he didn't. He resisted, he rejected, he refused. And, and not only did he personally reject what God was trying to do, but he tried to stop what God was doing in the greater story of redemption for all of us. 
He wasn't just going to refuse Jesus for himself. He was going to wipe Jesus off the face of the earth. So what did he do? He gave the unthinkable genocidal order to kill every baby born in and around Bethlehem who was under the age of two. Under the age of two. Why the age of two? Because, remember, he asked them specifically when the star appeared. That's how he knew the range of ages that he would give the order for. So Jesus, at this point, was probably around two years old, 18 18 months to to two years old. Now, we know how it turned out. We, We know that God warned Joseph in a dream to get Mary and Jesus and get out of there before the soldiers showed up, before the purge happened. Jesus was safe. Now, Herod didn't live long enough on this earth to find out before he died. I promise you, he found out immediately thereafter that the purge didn't work. Jesus was alive. He had missed his target. He tried to assassinate the king of kings, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Here's what I I want to communicate. I'm going to put this real real simple. I'm going to put this like West Georgia for you. God is real, y'all. He's real. God's not a human, but he is a person, and he has a will, and he has a plan, and he has all power and all authority. He can do what he wants to do. He has given us some power as well. He's given us the personal authority over ourselves to choose whether we're going to join him or not. But he has not given us the power to alter the plans that he has already established. We're in the middle of a story, and it's his story. It's a story crafted by the Creator. He is redeeming us. He is bringing us back to himself. He is bringing us back to the perfect world that he wanted us to have in the first place. And there's no devil in hell and there's no power on earth that's going to stop what God is doing in this earth. Period. Period. Listen, I've seen people turn their backs on God, or just refuse to come to know him. I've heard them rail and rant at him. I've heard them denounce his deity and run as far away from him as they can, as if their rejection of him was going to somehow cripple him. That somehow they were going to refuse him and that was going to tip the cosmic scales in their favor and suddenly they would hold the power. As if God would come like a whooped puppy, hat in hand, begging, begging for them to believe in him again. As if somehow God depended upon their acceptance. Like God gets more powerful the more likes and follows he gets. God is eternal and self-sufficient. He has no needs. We've never met anybody that doesn't have needs. It's hard for us to even wrap our brains around that. He does not need you. If he ever does have a need, he's not going to come to you or me. Because we don't have anything that he didn't give us in the first place. If he'd have needed it, he'd have kept it. 
We got, there's nothing that we can give to him that he needs. He is not bigger or stronger because more people accept him. God, in all of his power, in all of his attributes, is simply an eternal, unimpeachable fact. He just is. He is, and you can believe it or not, but it doesn't alter the truth. He always has been. He always will be. Nobody created him. Nothing was before him. Nothing is above him. What he says is established as truth, no matter who stands to contradict it. The book of Romans says that let God be true and every man a liar. If all seven and a half billion humans on this planet rose up with one voice and one mind to declare something to be true and God says it's a lie, then it's a lie. Period. So when King Herod hears that of the birth of Jesus and he recognizes the fulfillment of prophecy because he's surrounded by Jewish uh, uh, teachers... And he understands the plan of God for the future. And then he tries through earthly means to stop it. He found out real quick that not all power and authority is the same. Because he had a little bit of power on this earth. He had a little bit of authority. But it was absolutely nothing compared to the power and the authority of God. Herod had a few people who would carry out his will here on this earth. But God's will and God's way and God's plan is established in the heavens and it will be accomplished no matter who opposes it. So, John, what what are you saying? Okay, but like, what's the point? Like, where's the good news in all this? What does this have to do with me? The good news is that if God said it, you can believe it. Period. You can depend on it. His promises are yes and amen. They are going to happen. For them not to happen would be would require that God would lie, and God can't lie because He is truth. So so how does that affect our lives? So when He says that you're forgiven of your sins, when you repent, you're forgiven. Period. No matter who likes it. No matter who, nobody else has the authority to revoke it or to block it. No matter how much they accuse you of, no matter what names they call you, even if they bring up stuff you actually did, then if God says you're forgiven, it's done. You're forgiven. When he says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate you from his love, he means it. Nothing. When he says that he will never leave you and never forsake you, whether you sense him or feel him or not, when he says, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, he doesn't. When he says he's coming back to receive the church that's waiting on him and looking for him, he means it. He's coming back. When he says he'll bring justice to the evildoers and comfort to the broken, he means it. When he says those of us who surrender their lives to him will live with him forever in eternity, he means it. God has great and precious promises. You have the authority to reject those promises for yourself if you want to. But listen, there ain't nothing you can do to stop me from getting what he said I can have. 
period. If you don't want it, you ain't got to get it. But I'm getting what he said was mine. <laughs> um, Bree, Corey, whoever, I don't know. I don't ever know where y'all sitting. Um, about 15 years ago, when, and you've heard this story before, and I'm not going to go into all those details. About 15 years ago, when I almost lost my faith, one of the things that brought me back to faith was the recognition that there's something going on here that's so much bigger than me. When you're, when you're having one of those, some people call it a dark night of the soul, some people call it a, you know, a faith crisis, whatever you want to call it. When you're struggling with whether or not you believe, um, your world gets real small. As a matter of fact, you are at the center of your world. And everything that happens, um, you understand through the lens of how it affects you and only you. And what the Holy Spirit began to do for me was to broaden my perspective again and help me see that there's something going on on a scale that I, don't, that I wasn't recognizing in the pain of, my, of the moment that I was living in. He helped me realize that what he was doing was going to happen with or without me. He helped me realize that what he was doing included me, but ultimately it wasn't about me. And that's a painful reality for us to accept. You see, God is real. He's, he's, he's real. He's, he's real whether you believe in him or not. And he's inviting us into his story. Into his presence. Into relationship with him. And you can accept it. And you can surrender to it. And you can join him. Or you can reject it and walk away and do your own thing. But why not join God in what he's doing. He's the victor. Like we already, we already read the whole thing. He wins. He's the, he's the conqueror. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the author and the finisher. It all started with him, by him, for him, and it will all end exactly as he's declared it. So why not join the winning team? Herod didn't get an angel. He didn't. But he did get a choice. I'm assuming you hadn't got an angel either. But you've been presented with the truth today. The king is born. The king will reign and rule forever. In a kingdom that we can't even wrap our brains around. So the question for you, for me, for all of us, it's the same one that Herod faced. Will you join God in what he's doing? Or will you resist him and walk away? The choice is, as we learn from the innkeeper, how much room are you going to make for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you going to just offer him some little rented space? Or are you going to sell out completely to him? That's the question that all of us are facing today. 
And it's really just, it's just the presentation of the gospel. This is just what Jesus came to do. This is what Christmas is about. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be invited back into the story and the, and the relationship with God so that God can bring us back to what he had always intended for us to have in the first place. A perfect world to live in where we can have eternal and intimate fellowship with him coming and going and just living the life that God chose to give us. Not because he needed us, but because he wanted us. So the question that we have to come to is are we going to recognize God for who he is and, and, and then make the only appropriate decision and that is to surrender yourself to him. And that's the choice that I put before you today. So I don't know if you are in some sort of a crisis of faith. If you're searching, if you're questioning, you're doubting, you're just trying to find your way, you're in the right place. We are glad you're here. We, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to be a spiritual giant to come up in here. This is where we find God. This is where we meet him. This is where we learn about him. So we're glad you're here. But at some point, you have to, you're going to have to wrestle with this choice to the point that you make up your mind. Are you going to join the, the winning team or not? And then for all of us, we need to decide and ask ourselves, look in that spiritual mirror and ask ourselves, how much room am I giving him? Because a little room's just not going to work. Amen. It's just not. Y'all stand with me, please. So they're gonna, I'm going to pray. They're going to sing a song. This altar is open. Always is. You want to come and if, you, if you're just like, yep, I'm ready to make my decision. I'm following Jesus. Then come on down here. and let's, let's do business with God right now. There's no, there's no more important thing that you ever need to decide. This is it. So if you want to do that, you come on down. You want, some, you want somebody to walk with you through it, we'll be happy to. Listen, this is a function that happens between you and God. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic words. You, you come and you surrender yourself to the Lord. And he knows your heart. And he knows whether you're sincere about it. And he knows what that means to you. So you come on and, and you get busy with the Lord. If you are trying to figure out how much of yourself you're feeling that call to surrender more and more of yourself, that area of your life you've been holding on to or thinking you've been hiding it from God, I mean, you ain't hiding nothing from God, but he does want you to give it up. So if that's the call today, then come and give it up. And if there's anything else that you want to pray about, there's no limit to the things that you need to, that you can come and lay before the Lord. You come and do that. We'll be dismissed together in a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you're calling people to yourself. And today, Lord, I, I just pray above all things that there's anyone in this place today, anyone who's watching online, anybody who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to draw them and deal with them, would begin to open their eyes and help them to see their spiritual condition and recognize they're lost, recognize they don't know you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just draw them to yourself. They surrender themselves to Jesus. Lord, I pray that, you'd, that through your Spirit you would um, search us and show us the areas of our lives where we've built walls or we've tried to keep Jesus in his place as if we've got that, as if that's up to us. Lord, help us to just surrender. Help us to surrender everything to him for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.